Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. our series on toxic Christianity, exploring those things that happen sometimes when we become too complacent, sometimes when we aren't careful to attend to how we are speaking, acting, and being in the world. And sometimes they happen because even the, the culture of the church can veer off into sinfulness if we're not diligent and aware of, of one another. And so today we're going to be talking about censure and the narrow-minded Christian. Because sometimes that happens. Sometimes Christians start to think that the way they've done it is the only way it can be done. Sometimes Christians think that there's only one right way. And sometimes, as a church, we start to think that our way is the right way, the only one way. And unfortunately, that is exactly what Peter was encountering in our scriptures today. Now, censure is a strong disapproval. It is to almost verge on condemnation, to really make someone feel dejected about offering an opinion, a solution, or sometimes even asking a question. And when Christendom collides with censure, it can make us feel embarrassed, humiliated. It can make us feel less than. It can make us feel like we are a problem and not beloved. And at that root, we can see why it is a problem. And Peter was experiencing some real narrow-mindedness in today's scripture. Now, the apostles had heard that there were Gentiles becoming Christians. And we are at a point in the scriptures here where Pentecost has already happened and the Holy Spirit has come upon the remaining apostles with great power and authority and given them the gifts necessary to continue to build the church that is the community that is known as the body of Christ. And in the beginning, they were all Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. He attended to his religious duties and so were the first apostles. They were all Jewish. And the belief was that even the first disciples seemed to be of that sphere. They were Jewish. And so they were still attending to what the law said. As we heard in the scripture, Peter had continued to keep kosher. And they were trying to be good Jews who happened to believe that Christ, Jesus, was the Messiah. Trying to combine both of those. It was very early in Christianity. And unfortunately for them, things were already starting to change. I mean, we're only 11 chapters in, and already things are changing. And what's happening is that there are these non-Jews. You're either Jewish or you're Gentile. There were these non-Jews who seemed to embrace this gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's fine. That's great. But they're not Jewish. So do they need to be Jewish first? Do they need to become circumcised as we are? Those are the questions that the apostles are asking themselves. And then Peter has this life-changing experience. He's praying. He noticed that in order to have the life-changing experience, he had to be using the means of grace, right? He had to be plugged in so that he could have the vision. And in the midst of praying, 
Peter has this vision. And it's visual, it's auditory, it's experiential. And the vision is that the sheet comes down and on it are all these things that no good circumcised Jew is going to eat. Everything on that sheet is unkosher. And he's looking at it, and if he's having the reaction that a lot of my Orthodox friends have, it's like, I'm even gonna back up a little bit just to make sure that I don't touch any of that stuff. And in the vision, he's looking at it, and the voice from heaven says, you can eat this. And Peter's probably going, this has got to be a test, right? This is a test. Peter is used to tests. He fails a lot, right? If you read the gospel accounts, Peter does not, he's like a 50-50. He gets it, and then he messes up. And so Peter's like, wait a second. No, 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 Lord, no, I, I'm... I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm keeping the commandments. I am keeping kosher. I'm not going to eat unclean things. And the voice goes, you can't call what God has said clean profane. If God has ordained that this is to be good and right and joyful, you are not to subvert that truth. And so Peter isn't sure that this is right, but it happens twice. And then a third time, because, you know, Peter usually gets it by the third time. Third time is the charm for our apostle Peter. And, you know, it took three times denying Jesus for him to go, oh, yeah, he was right. He was right. That sometimes the world is going to change how I want to be. And this time, heaven was telling him to change how he wanted to be. And so he got it. All right. Those things are no longer prohibited. Now, after the the contemporary worship service, someone came right up to me and was like, you should have mentioned that there was bacon on that. And I said, well, technically it would have been a pig and not a bacon. But, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that we are still considered in the South down here and bacon was the first thing that came to mind, right? There's bacon on that. I just picture a big old platter of bacon on that sheet. But this, this is what we think about, right? Because especially those of us of Southern or culture, uh, coastal culture, right? How many of you were like, I hope there was Maryland crab on that sheep, right? I mean, we're thinking about how we are shaped by our food. We're thinking about how important it is for us to be able to eat those things. And aren't you glad that this happened in the scripture, right? Because even if people weren't listening to Jesus, which, oh, wow, people didn't listen to Jesus sometimes. Even if they didn't listen to what Jesus said about it's not what goes in, but what comes out that makes a person impure, then here they have it completely spelled out. But this was important because Peter is the leader of the church. Jesus has ascended, and Peter is the one that they all look to to see what do we do next, right? Peter is the rock. He is our foundation. He is our foothold. He is the one that we lean upon, that we stand upon, that we need to know is grounded in Christ. And Peter is about to rock their world. He is about to come back and meet with them in Jerusalem and tell them something that they never thought was going to happen, tell them something that, quite frankly, they don't want to hear. And he is going to change forever Christianity. Now, it's not actually Peter that's changing Christianity, right? It's heaven. God has ordained that Christianity open its mind, right? We read together in our gathering liturgy from the prophet Isaiah that all the way back in Isaiah, God declares, I am doing a new thing. I'm going to do something new. So narrow-mindedness really doesn't give God a lot of room to move or to do something new. 
When we narrow our minds, what we're actually doing is making a really tiny pathway, right? And we think what we're doing is, well, we're going to walk a narrow line and then anybody that wants to be with us is going to have to walk this narrow line. But what we're really trying to do is say, God of the entire universe, God of all creation, God of unparalleled love and grace, squeeze into this tunnel I have created in my mind and only work in that. And God says, no, 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 no. you got to fling wide the gates. I'm a big God and I have big plans and I need big space. Big space in your minds, big space in your hearts, big space in your church, big space in your community. I need big space because I am about to do something big and new. And in fact, those early apostles had to have open minds. Jesus blew their minds when Jesus said to them, I am God incarnate. I am Emmanuel which comes to us from that very same prophetic book of Isaiah. The prophecy, the messianic prophecies of Isaiah were suddenly true in Jesus of Nazareth, were suddenly the reality. People were looking at God, and that was radical. That was a whole new thing. You didn't look at God. Once a year, some high priest got to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple and look at God, and even they were terrified. But all of a sudden, here was God holding children, touching the unclean, talking to people that were social outcasts and despised. Here was God in human form doing things that no good Jew would do. And that was flinging wide the gates. And in order to continue to be apostles of Christ, in order to continue being the church of Jesus Christ, Everybody was going to have to start opening their minds, their hearts to new people, and opening their doors to their sacred spaces. They were going to have to change everything that they thought they knew outside of Jesus. And that's difficult because we all love change, don't we? Wouldn't you love it if you came in next week and all the pews were gone? That is not happening. I'm not getting rid of the pews. But I can tell you right now, if y'all came in and I had plush recliners in here, somebody would immediately come down here and go, why did you change the pews? Right? Some of you would be like, thank you for my plush recliner. But a lot of people would be like, why did you change the pews? Because change disrupts. Change means I might like this, but I might not. Change means... Well, now I have to do things differently, right? I, I used to know. And if, and if I have chairs in here, then you're going to be like, well, no, I sit like four feet in on the pew. I don't know which chair that is, right? It disrupts our world. And that's precisely what God was doing. God has been declaring since the Old Testament prophetic books that God is a God who makes all things new, who is doing a new thing. And so what God is telling us is, I may change things, but I will not change. I will be with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And it's going to be okay. Because I'm not going to abandon you or forsake you. I am going to be your God. And we are going to get through this. Because at the end of this is the kingdom to come. At the end of this is a place where our bodies will no longer age. Where we will never get sick. We will never again know death. There is no mourning or crying or sickness or death, declares the book of Revelation in this place. 
And that's where we're going. But we can't stay as we are to get there. Things don't stay the same to get there, right? And if the people had finally wrapped their minds around the fact that Jesus is God incarnate, God come to us in human form, then imagine what happened on the day of Pentecost where they're like, here's God as the Holy Spirit. And some of them were like, this is not, this can't be, right? There were doubters. There were people who were like, they have got to be drunk, these people. I love that that's recorded in the Bible, that people were like, the only way that this could be possible is that they are drunk. Instead of going, wow, this is so out of the norm, this is so not our normal reality, that this has to be God. No, it has to be a malfunction of the liver in order for us to believe that that's what's going on here. Instead, God says, I am doing something new. But then again, how do we know our Lord Jesus Christ? Is he not our Alpha and our Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end? He is the one that comes and the one that comes back. And all along there, God has promised us that we will not be abandoned. That's why Pentecost happened. That's why we receive the Holy Spirit at baptism. That's why the Holy Spirit moves in our midst in worship, because God has not abandoned us. And all of a sudden, these people who were still dealing with the fallout, the ramifications and the ripple effects of Christ ascending to heaven and the Holy Spirit coming down on Pentecost, all of a sudden they're told, remember all those people that you thought were disgustingly unclean? All of those people that you thought worshipped other gods, their idols and their pagan beliefs, all those people that you thought were completely incompatible with the identity of God's people? They're now your siblings in Christ. And there were people that were like, uh-uh, no, they're not. No. No, you do something new over there with those people. Not here. And Peter stood up and told them that. And the part that I really love, and if we had more time, I would set like a five-minute timer. I love how he ends at verse 17. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave to us when we believed and the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? And when they heard this, they were silenced. And what happened in the silence? What happened is that somebody was like, Peter's out of his mind, and I don't like this at all. And as soon as this meeting is over, we're going to go out in the parking lot, and we're going to talk about how we're going to like replace Peter. There were other people that said, you know what, I don't like this, it's weird, but Peter is our leader. And if Peter is saying this, then maybe this is right. And there was somebody else who's like, you know what, I really don't care either way as long as like, things are relatively stable. I, I, it's fine. And there were people all along that spectrum that heard this. And, and, but you know what, there was somebody that was excited. There was somebody that's like, yes! You know why? Because my daughter married a Gentile, and now he can come to worship with us. There was somebody that said, you know what? This is great, because some of the people that I have met in my life who buy my product, who are part of my neighbors, these people can now truly be united with me. We don't have to have that separation anymore. We are now one in Jesus Christ. There were some people that got really excited, just as there were some people that got really angry. And then their minds 
opened, says the text. And they said, yes, then God has truly given the Gentiles that same grace. God has given the Gentiles that same Christ. God has given the Gentiles this same love, this same opportunity, this same title, child of God, people of God. This is theirs. And somebody probably did math and went, we just got a lot bigger. We just got huge. And Peter had to risk standing up and saying something. Now, we are a people who don't really embrace risk like that. Now, I'm not talking about in the church. I'm talking about American culture, right? Because sometimes somebody stands up and says, hey, I got an idea, or I was thinking, or here's a question, and someone almost always says, that's stupid. That's dumb. And I really respect this whole generation of parents that are trying to make those bad words. We don't use those words because inevitably, almost every time I teach, there's almost always somebody who says, you know what, I have a stupid question. No, you don't. Every question should be answered. Every question should be asked. And I tell them, ask your question because chances are somebody else has that question or your question is going to give us an answer that we needed to know. Ask your question. But I only do that because I had some radical professors who said to me, ask your question. We have to give people the opportunity or they won't. And so Peter said, these people will not embrace Jesus Christ if we say to them, okay, first, all the guys have got to get circumcised. And second of all, you got to get rid of your entire kitchen and all of your pots and pans because you've been making cheeseburgers and that's out. And all of you that like she crab soup and you like your bacon and eggs, it's over. People are already like, I'm out. I'm totally out. No. And you know how you like those clothes? No, you can't mix your fabrics. No. And that day when you used to really make a lot of money, you can't anymore. You got to have a day off. People are like, what? No. But no. But notice that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus wasn't talking about a list of rules. Jesus was talking about how we love people. And so Peter saw this as an opportunity to show radical love, opening his heart to a people that his entire religious existence had told him to close off to, opening his heart to a group of people that when the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the priesthood and the teachers in the synagogues looked at these people, they went, that is not what you want to be. That is the worst thing that you could be over there, those Gentiles. And Peter just said, they are now us. They are now us. And yes, I will eat at their table, and I will invite them to eat at mine. And I will worship in their home, and I will invite them to come and worship into mine. And I will no longer look at them as somebody else, as less than, as deficient. Because my mind and my heart and my spirit have been opened. And I now know that just as what came down on that sheet is not profane, neither are these people profane any longer. Amen. And the thing is, this was a long time, right? Because even if these people were like, all right, we're buying into Peter, you know, like two weeks later, they're like, can we revisit that whole Gentile thing? I'm just not sure it's sitting comfortably with me. Can we come back to this? I would like a revote on the Gentiles, because I've been thinking about it, 
and no. And while the church in Jerusalem is taking this time bickering and deciding, because it's not over, they're going to have this conversation again, and while they're continuing to kind of go back and forth, and yes, it's the will of God, and no, let's play it safe, as they're continuing to do this dance, God is not waiting. God's not standing still being like, I hope they figure it out soon. While they are doing this, God is already doing something. If they thought letting Gentiles in was crazy, God's about to take their biggest enemy and make him an apostle. God's about to take Saul, who was actually on his way to have Jews who were worshiping as Christians arrested and persecuted. And in that moment, God is going to stop him, introduce him to Jesus Christ, and transform everything. He too will get a new name. He will become Paul. He too will have a new purpose. And here's the kicker. He's getting a new people. He's not just going to have to let some of those people in. He is going to be sent entirely to these Gentiles. And he is going to have to deal with these same apostles back in Jerusalem later who want to go, okay, they can be Christians, but they got to keep kosher. Okay, they can be Christians, but like they got to keep like, can they keep 300 of the 613 commandments? Can, is that reason, like 50? Can they be 50% Jews? Can we put some restrictions and some boundaries and like a fence around what this is supposed to be? And meanwhile, while they're having these kinds of discussions in Jerusalem, Paul has planted numerous churches in other areas around the Roman Empire. Numerous. And something is happening there that does not happen in the Jewish synagogues and in Jerusalem. Something is happening there People, for the first time in their entire lives, in their family's lineage, are experiencing our God. People, for the first time, are having their minds blown wide open by the concept of Jesus Christ loving them, dying that they might live, and giving them grace, not just for everything that they have done, but everything they will do. And we forget that sometimes. Because very few Christians in the church actually trace our genetic lineage back to Judaism. Very few. And so for the vast majority of us, if Paul hadn't done what Paul did, we wouldn't be here. Because I, I can't go all the way back to like where my family structure was back in the book of Acts, but I can go back of quite a few generations in my family, and I can tell you right now that if you told them they had to give up barbecue, they were out. They were out. Could you imagine telling people that they can't love Jesus Christ because of their diet? And now I recognize that nobody in Jerusalem that day was thinking that's what was happening. But let's be honest, that's what was happening. If you really get to the bottom of it, it's they won't eat like we eat. They won't dress like we dress. They won't worship the same way we worship. They won't be us. Brothers and sisters, we're not here to be us. We're here to be Christ. We're here to be the embodiment of Jesus Christ and love and forgiveness here and now. And that is the hardest part, is remembering that even as we want other people to change, 
we have to change. And that's what Christ has given us the power to do. We forget that on Easter morning when that tomb was opened, Jesus came out, life came out, love came out of the tomb, and Jesus said, take all of your sin and your regret and your guilt and put it in there. Put it in that tomb. Roll the stone back because it is your past and it is behind you. And I don't look at you as your past. I don't look at you as your sin and your mistake. I look at you as mine. And I love you. And I want you to look at the others like that. Look at them like I look at you. And then we have to help them. The portrayal in the book of Revelation of the kingdom to come is that it is a square city. And on every side are multiple gates. And I know that there's often these depictions, you know, the far side has really helped cement this in for a lot of people, of like the cloud and the gate, and then there's like Peter at the one gate, like, no, you cannot enter, right? And instead, recognize that there are 12 gates, and they never close. And Peter can't possibly guard all 12 at the same time. No one could guard them. No one can hold those doors closed. Christ has opened them to us. And no one can tell you that you're not getting in. In the kingdom to come, we are all meant to be greeters and ushers. And some of you have gotten a leg up on that already. Well done. Because you're practicing now. And that's true. We are meant to be those who are saying right now what people will experience on that day. You know, hey, I know where you can take your, your sin and your guilt. I know. Here, let me, like, roll the door back open and help you put your stuff in here, too. Let me free you of your burdens and the stigmas. Let me free you of your fears and your anxieties. Let me free you of all those horrible experiences and the suffering that you have done. And let's put them in here, and together, let's go after Christ. That's the difference between a narrow-minded Christian and an open-hearted Christian. When your heart is open, your mind will expand. When your heart opens. Now, there is something that has been happening for a long time in the Methodist Church. There is kind of this unofficial motto, and sometimes you see it, right? Open hearts, open minds, open doors. I have been to more Methodist events that people argue about that, right? As if, what, what do you want it to be? Like, semi-open hearts? semi-open mind. What is it that you want? Like, why wouldn't you want to fling wide the gates, right? Let me tell you something that studies have shown us. Studies have told us that in places with two doors, and churches like two doors, you can see this when you leave here, that we like double doors, right? If you only unlock one side, more than half of people will come up and pull on the one door, and if it's locked, they won't try the other door. They will walk away. Now, some of you are going, that's ridiculous, right? Why wouldn't you try both doors? I get you. I understand. You know, if I got to get in a building, I'm going to find a way into the building. But some people won't. They'll go, you know what? Maybe I have the wrong day or the wrong time, or maybe I'm not supposed to go through this entrance, or maybe I'm not even, they'll start to second guess everything. Maybe I'm not even supposed to be here. Maybe it's the will of God that I don't go into this church today. People will start to think all kinds of things, and they will leave, and they will never come back because it's embarrassing that I can't get in the door. And so one of my most brilliant professors who was not teaching anything practical <laughs> told us this one day. 
said to us in seminary, let me tell you something, always unlock both doors. Always unlock both doors. Because when you go to unlock one side, somebody coming in may not try that side. You gotta unlock both. You can't keep closed-minded halfway and open-minded the other. We've got to be open. And so that is part of the lesson that we still get from the book of Acts. We can't be semi-following Jesus. We can't be kind of doing this Christian thing. We can't be halfway open-hearted and halfway open-minded and, and halfway open-doored. Because for a lot of people, that first time that they have that humiliating, embarrassing experience, they're done. They're done. They don't want to do that again. And there have been times where so many churches perhaps have stunted the development of the next Mother Teresa, ended the next incarnation of the Wesley brothers because of narrow-mindedness, haphazard thoughts and actions. But today is a new day. And today is a day where God has empowered all of us to take those narrow corridors of our hearts and our minds and to obliterate them. Christ becomes the sledgehammer. I don't know if I can love those people. I don't even know that I would choose to be around those people. And Jesus blows it away. Those are your neighbors, and you will love them. I don't know if I can do this, Lord. I don't know. I, I really don't know. One of the things that isn't pointed out in the text, but is so crucial, is that do you know the city where Peter was? He was in Joppa. And those of you who are really well acquainted with the prophetic book of Jonah will recognize that city. In the beginning of Jonah, when God comes to Jonah and says to him, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent because I have heard of their wickedness, Jonah doesn't even reply. He goes right to Joppa and catches a ship. I'm out of here. You want me to go that way? I'm going this way. And there Peter is. He's at a coastal city. He can become the next Jonah. He can get on a boat and sail away. He can say, you know what, no, that's, I, I'm not there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold tight to this Judaism. I'm going to stay right here. And, you know, you can do a new thing with somebody else over there. But he doesn't. For our sakes, he goes right to Jerusalem. And at the risk of being ousted, at the risk of being humiliated, at the risk of undermining everything that they have ever known, he tells his siblings in Christ, God is doing a new thing. And we're getting on board. And that is why we are here. We are here because Peter lays the groundwork in Jerusalem. And when Paul comes to Jerusalem and tells them everything that he's doing with the Gentiles, they at least have heard of this. And some of them are already convinced. And so they look at it as an opportunity to buy in. But that Jerusalem church will never be what Paul's is. By and large, we are Pauline Christians. We are the ones that have benefited from somebody who was a zealous Jew, a Pharisee, who knew those 613 mitzvot like the back of his hand, 
who turned and said, God's doing a new thing, and I want to be right there. May that be you and me. May that be us, that God's going to do a new thing. The world is changing. The world has changed. What will God do next? Don't you want to be right there to see it? Don't you want to be one of the Christians that got to be a part of the entire new thing? And when somebody goes, no, we're just going to hold tight, right? We're just going to hold tight right here. You point back to the book of Acts. You put, point back to the book of Revelation. You point back to the prophet Isaiah. Oh, no, no, no. God's doing a new thing. And I want to be a part of it. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.